0: Welcome back. This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. We're talking with Sandvi Bakwadi Saraswati. She's the author of From Hollywood to the Himalayas, her story of her journey from what appeared to be a very privileged California life to spiritual awakening on the shores of a river in India, and the freedom that came next. Sandhvi, you and your husband journeyed to India all those years ago. What impact did that moment of awakening for you have on your relationship?
1: After I had this extraordinary experience on the banks of Ganga, I knew I wanted to stay there. I knew this is where, this is where I meant to be. I had heard a voice I, who was this hardcore academic scientist, had literally heard voices in the ashram telling me, this is where you should stay. I had quite literally gotten my feet glued to the ground of the ashram. Literally, I could not pick them up to walk them out. I had had these these incredible experiences making me know this is where I was meant to be. So I said to my husband, let's stay. We can always go up to the mountains. The guru is back. We can stay. You should meet him. But he said, no, I'm going up to the mountains. He felt very threatened and very jealous of the experience that I was having. And he He acknowledged that he had wanted to be the one who had that experience. And I felt sure that if he just opened his heart, he would have it also. But his his heart was so, so angry that I was having the experiences, that it was supposed to be him, that in that moment, he couldn't open his heart. And so he said, I'm going to the mountains. And he thought I would come with him. I had very severe abandonment issues. My biological father had first severely abused me and then abandoned me when I was eight. And so that had, of course, scarred me and stayed with me throughout most of my life. And I had always these very severe abandonment issues. I went from boyfriend to boyfriend, as you can imagine, and never would have let my husband go off into the mountains and leave me alone in a place where I didn't know anyone. I didn't speak the language at a time with no mobile phones, no nothing. So I think he was pretty confident that I was going to say, forget it. I'll come with you to the mountains. But this is that inner knowing that I was talking about, because when I was connected to that source, to that divine presence, I wasn't afraid anymore. There was no longer a sense of being abandoned. I was one with the divine. I wasn't alone. I wasn't afraid. And so when he said, I'm going, I said, okay, I'm staying. And it was extraordinary. Those who knew me at the time could not believe that I, with my abandonment issues, had let him go. And that's the power of really trusting that inner knowing, of finding that higher self within the self. So when he came back about a week later, by that time, I had already made a lot of friends and had gotten very connected into the day-to-day activities of the ashram, which when he came back, he said, I don't want to live somewhere where you're already queen of the ashram. He was struggling. He was in pain. He was, he was jealous. He was angry. And so he needed to, he needed to belittle it. He needed to denigrate it. He needed to kind of bad mouth me and the ashram and the entire
0: experience. You share many personal stories in this book. It's a remarkable memoir. Did you ever address the trauma of your past? or did you just simply leave it there in the past?
1: Hmm, interesting beautiful question. Um so I absolutely dealt with it. You cannot you cannot be free of trauma without looking at it. It will it will fester within you. And yet, in addition to looking at it, seeing it, being present with it, acknowledging it, embracing it even on many levels, there's another step, which is being free of it, letting it go. But you can't do that first. Otherwise, it becomes just repression or suppression. So I had been prior to going to India, I had been in years of therapy, years of work with psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, groups, all sorts of things to really work with the pain and to really to come to a place where, as I mentioned in the beginning, I was managing it. What none of those avenues, none of those therapies taught me or told me or even suggested was that I actually could be free. It was always a matter of learning to manage it. Never really being totally free. I mean, when you think of a wound that has healed, you think of a wound that's imperceptible. If you're left with this massive scar, you might say it's better, but you wouldn't necessarily say it's healed completely because you've still got this, you know, massive thing on you. And all of, the, all of the therapy, all of the programs, everything that I was given, shown, all of the work that I did was focused on kind of management as the highest possibility, but that this was always going to be something that I carried with me and that in times of stress, The eating disorder, for example, would always be my stress response. And this was something I was told over and over again, is you can learn to manage your food. You can learn to eat and actually keep it down and for it not to be a massive stress, but you need to stay vigilant. You need to stay aware. It'll always be this thing on your shoulder. And at times of stress, it will always be your go-to stress response. No one ever said, you can be really free. And that's, that's the, the dilemma between where psychology and spirituality both meet and diverge, is psychology is beautiful. At bringing us into that darkness, into why we suffer, into looking at it, into insight, which is critical, absolutely critical. Otherwise, you end up with what we call a spiritual bypass. And then it just creates like a volcano bubbling under the surface, and eventually something happens and it explodes because it's still there. You have not actually healed it. But... Once you've done the, that work of acknowledging, seeing, working through it, you then have this beautiful possibility within spirituality to let go and to let go of the identity. I remember one day, a couple of years after I had been in India, And a couple of years after I had been taught to let it go, which was the first teaching, was to stand in the sacred river and literally give my pain to the river. To stand in the river as long as it took, and I have no idea how long it took, but it was a long time, to literally pull from within me all of the pain and to hand it, quite literally, into the waters of this sacred flowing river and to see before my eyes the face of my biological father who had done this to me and to look into his eyes until I could say and mean it, I forgive you. And that was that was in the beginning. And then a couple of years later, and of course that beginning experience was transformational and brought me that freedom from all of the ways that I was suffering. It removed any vestige from within me of an eating disorder. I would sit down in the hall. I mean, we get fed. There's no menu that you order from. You get fed, they come around and they just, whatever has been cooked, they just put it on your plate. And there never was a moment again where there was any stress or anxiety or concern or issue or thought around food Uh, and that was 25 years ago but about two years after that we were working in this slum area running these free schools we do a lot of charitable work a lot of humanitarian work for children and women girls sick people i mean all sorts of work like that and we were working in this slum area with kids and I was saying how seeing these children was so difficult for me. Every time we went into the slums and I saw the situation they were in, it just broke my heart. And how, because, and I said it in this very kind of offhanded sort of matter of fact, not emotionally charged at all way. I said, you know, because I was abused as a kid, I've got this connection with these children who are suffering and i got mid-sentence and my guru says to me when are you going to stop talking about that and my initial reaction was that's rude like this is my story this is my history what do you mean when am i going to stop talking about it but i had been there long enough to realize a he's not rude B, he is just this embodiment of compassion, as you read about in the book in so many stories. And C, that he really has this way of speaking the truth of the moment in a way when I can't see it. And so I stopped and I looked at the moment and what I realized was so deep, which was I don't actually identify as the one who was abused anymore. It's just a story I'm carrying around. And that there was this ego identity in me. That's like, I think of it as an out of work actor who spent so many years of his life playing one role on one stage that now that the curtain has dropped and the show is over and You know, the theater is now transformed into a restaurant or whatever, and this guy's out of a job. Nonetheless, he stands on the street corner shouting his lines because he just can't wrap his head around the fact that the role is over, that the drama is over. He's so identified with the role that even though there's no more stage, there's no more theater, there's nothing, he's still shouting his lines. And I realized that my my psyche, my ego had become very much like that. It was still, still playing the role of the one who had been abused, even though that no longer was the truth for me anymore. I no longer moved through the world with any sense of having been that victim or survivor of that abuse. And what he was doing was simply speaking to a truth that should have been self-evident to me, but wasn't, but it was evident to him. And so I said, I think right about now I'm going to stop talking about it. And, you know, it's been 23 years and it was only when I wrote the book that I started talking about it again, because I realized I needed to talk about it, not for me as an identity, but for others to realize that along with knowing freedom and knowing joy and knowing bliss and knowing spiritual awakening, that I also knew pain and I also knew struggle and I knew suffering and I knew trauma. Because otherwise, the experiences that I've had, the lessons that I've learned, the teachings that I give, allow people to see me as somehow different from them. And that it was too easy for people to look at me and to think, well, she can say this because she's this, you know, untouched, perfect being who came from this perfect situation and she doesn't know pain and she doesn't know struggle. And so... It's easy for her to live in this state of joy and freedom and peace and bliss. And I realized it was essential for me to talk about my story so that people would know, oh, she does know pain. She does know suffering. She does know struggle. She does know trauma. And she knows freedom and joy. And therefore it's available and possible for all of us. So that was my my goal in writing the book and why I finally, so many years later, had to, to talk about the story again.
0: What do you want for readers to embark on their own journey and find that peace, joy, and freedom, the freedom that you found? Absolutely.
1: That is the singular goal of writing the book. 100% of all of the proceeds go directly to our charity. I'm not taking one penny of anything associated with it. There's no commercial interest, agenda, motivation whatsoever in the book. 100% go to the girls and the women living in the Himalayas. But what motivated me to spend the hundreds and hundreds of hours that were involved in the writing and the publishing of it is my story can be everyone's story, not the physical part. I'm not saying everybody needs to get on a plane and come to India and, you know, take vows of celibacy and become a, a monastic and live in an ashram and be a disciple. No, that was the arc of my life's journey, my life's purpose. What in India we speak about is your Dharma. But the journey of the mind, that mind that is the master key to either our bondage or our freedom, that journey from the chained, the Bondage way of the mind, the way of being so stuck, which I think of as the Hollywood way of thinking, which is a mind that says, you are your body, you are your color, you are your age, your race, your religion, you are your waist size, you are your bank account, you are your career, your title, your successes, you are your Facebook identity, you know, you are all of those things and therefore you need to focus on acquiring, achieving, attaining in those areas so that you can be full. That's the Hollywood way of thinking and that you are your history. That which has happened to you or through you is who you are. Whereas the Himalayan way of thinking says you have a body but you aren't the body the body is the vehicle the medium through which you interact with consciousness truth love my arms for example my arms that hug you are not love but they are the medium through which I interact with love and I use them to hug you, but the arms are not love. In the same way, the body is the medium through which I interact with consciousness. I think about it. I meditate upon it. I experience it. I look at the infinite stars in the night sky, I look at the infinite ocean on the beach, I recognize my oneness with creation, but the body is not the consciousness. It's just that which enables me to interact with it. So in the same way, you have a body. It has a size and a shape and a color. Things have happened to it. It has gone places. But you aren't it. Who you are is spirit, is soul, is consciousness, is love, is truth, is divinity. And identify as that. And the prayer that we, that we chant is this beautiful prayer that says, Oh God, lead us. Lead us from the falsehood of separation into the truth of oneness lead us from the darkness of ignorance into the light of truth and lead us from the false identification with this physical body that is born and changes and dies to the real identification with the soul, the spirit that is never born and never dies. So that shift in thinking is what enables us to be free. And of course, as you move on that path, you forgive. You ask yourself, is this grudge, is this anger worth my freedom? And of course, the answer is no. Nothing anyone has ever done to you is worth your freedom today. So we forgive not because what other people did was okay, not because we're condoning it. But we forgive because regardless of what anyone has ever done to us, we deserve to be free. And so that freedom becomes our highest goal. And that's the healing and that's the transformation. And that is something that is available for everyone. And in this book, I take you through how I learned it. So you'll... You'll read the stories of how I learned to forgive, how I learned to let go, how I learned not to identify, how I learned to open my heart, how I learned to serve, to be an instrument. As St. Francis of Assisi says so beautifully, oh Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. How to become that instrument bringing peace, bringing hope, bringing light, bringing joy. Because that's our highest calling. And that is something that everyone, everyone can do. And that's, that's why I wrote the book. And that's why I shared all of these very, very deep, very personal, very vulnerable stories. It was so that no one could ever have a doubt that I didn't know suffering or that I didn't know struggle, so that they would never have a doubt that they too could find freedom and healing and transformation. And even if their physical bodies never bring them from Hollywood to the Himalayas, their mind can be changed to a Himalayan way of thinking.
0: The book is called From Hollywood to the Himalayas, the author is the renowned writer, speaker, social activist, and preeminent female spiritual leader of today, Sandvi Bakwati Saraswati. Thank you for spending so much time with us.
1: Of course, sure. So much love to you. It was really beautiful. And to all of your listeners and all of your beautiful community.
0: Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I'd hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condus Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condas? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives.